We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? This is Harry Patrick Marcelin, one of the brothers in the Marcelin Brothers podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to make sure that everybody is aware that what you will be listening to today is for purely entertainment purposes. If you need financial advice, please make sure you go and get a financial advisor. What's going on? You know, when you hear that sound, it is another episode of the Marcelin Brothers podcast. So as you can see, viewers, you don't see Marvin, you don't see Christopher, but you actually see somebody who is not us. We have an individual who is going to be actually our first interviewee. Now, the topic that we want to talk about today is financial planning and finances in general. And as we alluded to in previous conversations, I wanted to make sure that this podcast spoke about all things that we encounter in life. And I want to make sure that we have a dedicated podcast episode to financial planning. So without further ado, we have Jasmine here. So Jasmine, what's going on? How are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? Doing well. I'm so excited because I've got so many questions when it comes to financial planning, when it comes to finances. And I figured what better way to actually figure out what that is other than by interviewing somebody who actually has an idea of what those topics are. (laughs) Well, let's get to it. So I figured, why don't we just start off? If you want to give a general introduction, who you are, you know, what you do, and we'll see how the conversation goes from there. Yeah. So I'm Jasmine. Uh, What I do currently is I work as a registered client associate. And what that means is that I work under financial advisors basically to get operational stuff done, uh, which includes paperwork, trades, uh, setting up accounts, that sort of thing. Uh, What I did prior to this is I was actually a financial advisor. And then prior to that, I was in the same position as a client associate. I just was unlicensed. So what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is this lady knows exactly what she's talking about. (laughs) So I figured let's start off with some of the questions that I have. So number one, why would somebody come in and want to consult with you? What would the thought process be? Why do you end up talking to individuals? What are the main reasons why they come in? Um, I would say the main reason is they're at a standpoint where they just don't know what to do next. So either they're coming into money, they want to start saving, they have a goal, or um, maybe they were with a different company where something just wasn't going right for them. They weren't meeting their goals there. and Now they're coming to someone different to see what can they offer. Okay. So let's say, hey, my name is John. You know, I look you up. I say, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Jasmine. And let's say my scenario is, hey, I am a 55-year-old male who has maybe about $10,000 in investments 
and I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm about to retire soon. I'm freaking out. What can you do to help me? Tell me a little bit about how that conversation would go with you and some of the ways that you would help out this individual to help them get to where they need to get to. Yeah. So uh, the first thing I would probably ask is when do they plan on retiring? Um, so that'll be important. And also is 10,000 all that they have? Um, because at that rate, something needs to change. And that's where you go into the financial planning conversation of how many more years are you willing to work? Because you might say 10, but it might need to be 20. And um, a lot of advisors have some sort of tool to help them figure out the numbers or more seasoned advisors don't even use the tool. They can just do it in their head uh, to show what can work. Um, Another thing is, you know, you'll factor in the Social Security Um, you'll factor out any outside investments and people also plan for, is your mother old? (laughs) Is she about to pass? Will you inherit anything from that? Because they can factor that number in. Um, they'll also ask about, are you saving at work? Uh, can you double what you're doing? Whatever you can do, because just in general, 10,000 is not enough. Okay. Okay. So let's change the scenario. Let's say you've got somebody who is not very literate when it comes to finances. They just finished college. You know, they were told that, hey, you know what? I one of the things that I learned in school is that I need to meet with somebody who's going to help me with planning my financial future. I just started my new job and I just want to make sure that I'm setting myself up so that I can be successful because I have learned that at some point I need to retire and at some point I need to be able to make sure I have enough money for myself so that I can join my retirement. What would you walk through? What are the steps that you would help them from where they are now with being a novice? It's not an individual who has no idea what to do with money to help them get to whatever their future goal is. Um, well, on the topic of millennials, uh, we work a little bit differently. Um, so basically, uh, with age classes, uh, you can have people that are more based off of technology, where you have more people based off of, I need to see you in person, or there's that mixture. So with the person coming straight out of, the, out of school, I'm assuming they probably don't have much of anything. Um, mm. One second. <laughs> so for a person in their 20s, usually it will come to something online based and uh, most people will get their research there. Um, I would say millennials have a hard time just trusting someone straight out to know it. They'd rather do their own research. So what it comes to is that they're usually with like the robo investing or something that's self-directed where they're just kind of playing with their money because this is the time where they can take all the risks that they can because they have such a long time until retirement. Unless they have a strict goal like, hey, I want to retire at 35, and that might may be different. Maybe you do need to sit down with someone. Um, but the first thing for anybody is how do they want to work with their investments? Is it with the person or is it with just the computer? So let's say, you know what, this computer stuff, Eh, I'm, I don't really feel comfortable with the computer stuff. You know, I like the face-to-face interaction, Jasmine. You seem like you're 
a nice individual. You seem like you're smart. You look smart. So I want to be able to work with you. What happens next? Um, for me, um, it will also depend on your company. <laughs> um, some companies or franchises, however they work, uh, you can come in and you can start from ground zero and they'll help you build your way up. Some advisors, um, they could be more established and they only take in high net worth clients. Even though they look readily available at a bank, uh, they probably won't be able to take on your business and they'll suggest one of the online platforms to begin with because they want you to have some sort of base so that they can do something with it. Um, if it were me and I had my own practice, I would just take them um, because you have to get started somehow. Uh, whether it's just explain how to, you know, add $50 every two weeks on your paycheck and shift it to your IRA, whatever it may be. Um, but someone has to start from somewhere. Okay. So it sounds like for the general beginner, it sounds like depending on what type of firm you go to, what you are bringing in financially will determine if you see a professional face-to-face -face or if you would see one of these robo-advisors. So how does the whole robo-advisors thing work exactly? Yeah. Um, so basically what I went through is it's a type of robo-advising, but it's more so uh, we worked with clients but over the phone only. So we did do uh, the advising over the phone, help people get into investments and uh, you can go as far as do the financial uh, plans with them. Um, but there's also the robo advising where you just add a certain amount. So let's say it's uh, 10,000 or 15,000 into an account. And there's a, I would, it could be a third party or it could be someone or a group within the company that'll just add and trade throughout the day whenever needed, as needed, however you set up your account. Uh, so there's those two different ways and whichever you feel comfortable with, but it's more of do you want a hands-on approach or do you want a hands-off approach? If you want the hands-off, then you're going with that program that will do everything for you. And then you'll probably still have access to an advisor to talk about it. But as far as them making individual changes for you, that won't happen. It's just whatever the program gives. However, if you want to talk to the advisor on the phone, then they're going to more dedicate it towards you and probably won't have as many choices, um, but they want your input more so. Okay. So I go in, I find this company, I get directed online for this robo-advisor. What are the type of questions that I should expect to have to answer so that I know what information I may need to bring so that when I start filling out this robo-advisor form, I have all the information that I need to be able to successfully start that process. Uh, well, I know that they're making it easier nowadays, so it's not as many questions. Um, but mainly it would be uh, your time horizon. How long do you plan on keeping the money inside the account? Uh, they'll ask your comfort level uh, in terms of the market. Are you the type of person that can only take a 1% loss or are you the type of person that can handle a 15% loss? Um, and basically it'll come out as an investment objective. And based off of that, they'll give you the funds that meet that. 
Um, I've seen it as short as six questions, 10 questions, 15, I think is pushing it, <laughs> but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they try to keep it pretty general to get the idea of uh, what type of investor you are. Are you conservative? Are you aggressive in the middle? Okay. So I'm going through this form that I'm filling out. I say, Hey, you know what? I am pretty young. And I read somewhere where if you're young, it's best for you to take lots of risks and chances because you have time on your side so that if there are any big dips in the market, you have enough time to see those dips rise. So I decided to tell the robo-advisor, hey, I am very aggressive. I don't really freak out if there are large dips and my goal is to make the most that I can with the money that I have, with the time that I have. So what happens behind the scenes as far as how the robo-advisor picks the type of funds and what are some general examples of different funds based on if you're a aggressive, moderately aggressive, or not aggressive at all? Yeah, um, so for those teams, uh, I could be wrong here. But usually uh, they have research teams uh, that look into different sectors. Um, So it's going to be a whole divisional teams meeting together to figure out what this one portfolio will look like. And let's say it's of 10 funds. Um, If you're more so on the aggressive side, then a lot of the funds will say growth or international, um, small cap, large cap, things of that sort. if you're more so on the conservative side, you will see a lot of money market funds and bond funds, um, anything that has government in there, usually on that side. Uh, in the middle, we'll, you'll find the mixture of both um, in order to equal out moderate. Um, but what those teams will do is uh, they're constantly looking at each fund day to day. They're reading their research. Uh, they're contacting their wholesalers, talking with them, figuring out, you know, what are you guys expecting to do? I mean, anything that they're talking about, talking about is public knowledge, but you're trying to get a more of uh, in-depth understanding of what's actually going on with the fund, what are the changes that are about to happen, will it affect the way that the fund is being run now, um, how long has the manager been with the fund, because uh, that can make a difference. Usually you want a fund that's more tenured. So, you know, the manager has been with the fund for 20 years. A manager that's been with the fund for five years, you just don't really know their style. You don't know what's going to happen with the fund. But if you want to take that chance, there's that possibility. But the whole point of investing is you're not guaranteed anything. If you want a guaranteed product, that's where you go to the bank. Okay. So the robo-advisor picks out a fund for you. It says, hey, based on the questions that you've asked, this is what best fits your risk versus what your goals are for retirement or whatever reason why you are investing money for. So what happens next after you get that fund or funds, they pair you up with it. What are the next steps and how does it work for you to be able to get the money that you eventually want to get? Um. Well, usually it'll just, once you get the investment objective, you fund your account, it'll automatically just invest. And you'll just see the changes throughout. Um, 
usually whenever you see that it's not working for you or maybe that 15% drop you thought you could handle and you actually see it and you're like, you know what, I can't handle this. Just go back in and redo the questionnaire and then your funds will change to whatever that portfolio is um, if it's moderate or if it's conservative. Um, but uh, basically the whole point of uh, robo-advising is it's a streamline. So it's not necessarily saying like, I'm going to help you plan for the future. It's I'm working with the goal that you said of, I want to be aggressive. I want to be moderate. I want to be conservative. And this is my threshold. And anytime it goes outside of the threshold, that's when you'll see the changes on your account. Okay. Very cool. So I do this robo investing. I, what do you recommend as far as how much, as far as maybe a percentage of what you have? How do you come up with how much you're able to contribute to these funds? Um, I think that all depends on you. I know that there is always going to be a minimum to get inside of those programs, um, but it's really up to you and what you can handle. Uh, a lot of times people think that once they go into the program, like they have to push everything in there and that's not the case. You can split up your investments. So let's say you want to put 10,000 in the robo investing. You want to keep 5,000 that you traded on your own because you like day trading or you like doing some research. Um, and let's say you had 50,000 that you were able to work with the advisor and Maybe it was an annuity product that worked best for you. Um, you don't have to have just one goal. You have multiple goals. Uh, and a lot of people split up their uh, objective between those different types of accounts. So let's say with the independent account, that's the place where you want it to be aggressive. And with the advisor, you want it to be conservative. And that's why you got a fixed annuity. And with the robo vesting, you're like, you're in between. So now you're moderate in that account. So you don't have to uh, match every account that you do because if everything goes down and all, all your accounts are the same, then you're going to see the same result in each account. But if you diversify yourself, you can, you know, capture gains here and there. And if there is a loss, you can reverse that by the game. So that helps people out too. Okay. So let's say now I've been investing for you know maybe a good five years. I get a promotion. I look at what's going on with the robo advisor and I feel like, you know what? You know, I, I feel like I want to do something different. You know, I feel like I need some more one on one attention. I go into the area that I went to to open this fund and I realized now that I have a certain minute minimum balance that allows for me to actually see somebody in person. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? How does that differ from the robo advisor and what should somebody look for for a personal investor professional who will give one on one attention to help the individual get to whatever goal they need to get to? I would say um, the best difference is the relationship. Um, when you think about your financial advisor or financial planner, um, depending on their designation, uh, you have to connect with that person. So 
if it's the first person that you meet and something fell off, that's okay. Move on to the next one. You're basically interviewing someone to take care of you when you're in your old age. And they're doing the same thing with you. Uh, is this client going to be a needy client? Is this client going to call me five times a day? Um, depending on, you know, what you guys talk about in your initial meeting will determine, can I take this client on or can this person be my financial advisor? Um, but once you, you know, start establishing the relationship, uh, you have to be open and honest. So everything that you have going on, whether it's um, collateral loan or any type of debt going on, if you wanted to finance your granddaughter's tuition, if you want to buy a new car, building a new business, like you have to be open and honest. And that's what you get with the personal touch that you can't get with robo-advising. Yeah, I think that's interesting because the robo-advisor from how you described it, it seems like, you know, there's a set amount of questions that are asked and based on this question, then this is this answer and it's, you know, more of yes and no and it directs you to something. Whereas when you're looking at the personal finance advisor who's an individual, it's not just looking at, hey, this is when I want to retire, I'm aggressive, moderate, or weak when it comes to tolerance. It's actually asking for things outside of maybe the amount of money that you're looking to invest. It's looking at you as a whole entire individual. And as that individual, there are different areas of your financial life that you need to look at when you're trying to figure out what your goal is. So it seems like it's almost more encompassing than what the robo-advisor is. It is. And, but that also comes with the price. Um, with robo-advising, it, I don't know, depending on the firm, it could be less than 1%. Um, usually because you don't have that really, that connection with anyone. Um, you probably do have access to someone that's a financial professional but it could be different every time. Um, with the financial advisor, there's different ways that they get paid. They could be fee only, they could be commission only, or they can be a combination of both, which can get a little tricky um, because of conflict of interest based off of the type of products that they sell you. But that, that's the main thing. They have more products to offer you, more so that can fit what your goals are. Uh, so, when you're going in meeting with a financial advisor, like I said, there's probably that threshold of, you know, how much are they um, requiring their clients to have initially? Uh, a newcomer will say, you know, probably next to nothing. Someone that's been in the business for many of years, they're like, you know, 200,000 or more, or it could be higher than that is my threshold uh, to deal with the clients. And from there, you know, they can talk about all types of products that the uh, company that they're with offers and then also the general products, like I mentioned, like annuities. They talk about managed products, which is basically robo-advising, um, whether the advisor does it himself or herself or if it's a third party that uh, makes the changes on that account. So you spoke a little bit about ways that the advisor gets paid and you said fee only, commission, a combination of both. You know, for my viewers who are listening or who are watching, 
can you tell us specifically what it means to be a fee-only advisor, what it means to be a commission-based advisor, and what exactly and how exactly do they get paid? Yeah, uh, so with a fee-only advisor, they're probably charging you by the hour. Um, so I've seen it where you have the clients come in and uh, they talk you know, for an hour about uh, their life and their goals and what they want to meet. And the first uh, meeting is free. The next time they come in, they talk about the financial plan and they, they're like, this is how much we're going to charge you. And it could be $800, $500, dollars for that plan, but that plan is good for the year. And it tells you exactly what you need to do and what you need to accomplish. And this is the plan. They're going to give you a copy of it. And usually that will be it. Um, they'll probably still get a small portion um, from the type of product that they put you in. Um, but it really just depends. That's kind of the combination. Sometimes they won't which will be fee only, but if they do, that's the combination. On the other hand, with the commission only, um, that gets a little tricky too, uh, because anytime an advisor makes a purchase or a sell inside of your account with a um, mutual fund, a bond, uh, a stock, they will get some portion of that, of the fees that are uh, charged going to them. So let's say it costs, uh, with your advisor, $30 to place a trade. Some of that money is going to the actual company that they work with, and a portion will come to them. Um, it's usually a small percentage, but over time it adds up. And if you're doing large trades, so let's say you're doing a trade for 200000 I can't even imagine what the commission could be on that. <laughs> it, I've seen commission um, on $30,000 trades go up to like 1500 uh, and it's up to the advisor to also uh, decide on whether or not they want to reduce that amount. But the set number that comes up on the screen is usually what's already pre-calculated for them. Okay. So we talked a little bit about robo-advising. seems like that's more of for the individual who is novice, who is trying to learn the, it's pretty much, hey, this is what you need to do. It's cookie cutter for the most part. Yeah. It's, hey, I'm learning, and then this is probably the route that I would go to if I'm somebody who either is new to the game or somebody who doesn't have much money to invest. This is a way for these individuals to be able to get into investing. Then you have the individual who's been out there for a while, who's a little more familiar or just has a higher net worth. This is where the face-to-face -face contact comes in. What about if you are an individual who has been doing it for a while, you have some experiences yourself, and you feel comfortable instead of going to an advisor for help or doing a robo-advisor, this individual feels savvy enough to do it his or herself. How does that work? Um, basically, you'll set up an <clears throat> a independent account. Um, and you're doing everything online. Uh, there's companies where you can call in and still place your trades through them that might cost you a little bit more. But overall, the cost of being an independent investor is much cheaper than anything else. 
because you're not requiring any type of advice and advice isn't attached to the account. So you can find companies that'll charge you uh, $2.95 per trade, $5, $6, $7, around that range versus the double digits um, or even more than that. But it is very cost effective, but you're doing a lot of the research on your own. You are gambling a little bit heavier uh, versus someone that already has the knowledge and has been doing this for quite some time. And then as far as the different accounts, I know we've mentioned accounts, 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 accounts. Mm -hmm. So specifically, what are different investment accounts that you can look to? And maybe what we can do is we can organize it from the lowest risk, lowest reward to the highest risk, highest rewards when it comes to different types of vehicles? Um, well, that will really d depend on the company uh, that you're working with. Um, usually with standard accounts, we're speaking about IRAs and um, brokerage accounts. Hey, what's an IRA? <laughs> um, an IRA, I would, it's an individual retirement account. So it's only for you. It cannot be joint with any type of spouse or anyone. Um, that's where you can get a small tax break. Uh, I think the numbers went up this year as far as how much you can contribute per year. I believe it's, it's a little bit over 5,500. Uh, you can write that off. Um, and basically, when the time comes to take out the money, you will pay taxes on that at that time. Um, but hopefully by the time that you do retire, you moved yourself into a lower tax bracket. So when you do take it out, you won't uh, get affected as much. Okay, um, so that's more for just retirement. So if I wanted to put something in an IRA and I wanted to take it out, you know, maybe next week or next month, or I guess maybe more, maybe in a couple of years, but I'm not retiring in a couple of years, that would not be account for me to be able to take no, money in. That would be a brokerage account. Um, so what's a brokerage account? <laughs> that account is um, basically you're not really looking for any type of tax breaks or maybe you can't even get any tax breaks because of the amount of money that you make. Um, so a brokerage account will be the best one for you. And I always try to think of it as a savings account that you can invest in um, and you can do anything in there just as an IRA. Uh, but that's if a person is wanting to take money in and out uh, because you'll have no penalties there. Okay. So there's the IRA. There is the brokerage account. You know, I've heard the term Roth IRA. You know, it, what is what is that? Um, in the simplest terms, um, you will not get the tax break there. Um, but the benefit is that when you take the money out, when you're in retirement, you don't have to pay the taxes on it. Um, with the traditional IRA, once you hit 70 and a half, there's something called an RMD. It's a required minimum distribution where the IRS says, hey, you got to take out something. And this is the amount that you're going to take out based off of your last uh, year's end value. Uh, so people think that once they put the money in, they don't have to touch it, it stays in there. No. And if you don't take that money out, starting when you turn 70 and a half, when you get to the year end, so December 31st is your last day to take out that money. Once it hits January 1st, now you owe 50% of what you should have taken out. 
Oh, wow. Okay, that's definitely something that's very interesting then. But so. the RA is usually for people that um, are the, on the lower spectrum of uh, their salary. Um, there's thresholds for each type of account that uh, you contribute to. And all of this is on irs.gov, and I promise you it's not a difficult read. <laughs> but there's... Um, <laughs> it's pretty simple, but there's a lot of frequently asked questions on there that you can click on each type of uh, retirement account, and then it'll give you all the frequently asked questions on there. And then I heard you mention the term annuity. Yes. What is that? Uh, for annuities, there's different types, but the most popular ones are fixed and variable. A fixed annuity is a guaranteed um uh, interest rate that you'll get on the annuity and it'll have it for a certain amount of years. Um, but if you take it out before that certain amount of years, there's a surrender penalty. Um, so you always have to ask about that. If you're a person that, um, let's say you, you're just that person that's prone to having, uh, emergencies. Annuity is probably not for you. Um, because of the sur surrender charges and the penalties based off of your age, that has a factor as well. Um, but with the variable annuity, uh, that's where you have different investments inside. So there's not necessarily a fixed rate, but it can go up and it can go, go down. So let's say with the fixed annuity, it was only guaranteed at 3%. Well, the variable can go up to 10%, but then there's some years it might be 2%. Uh, some of them have caps on them. So it, let's say it won't go below 1%, but it won't go above 10%. So even if the, the funds inside of the annuity are at 15, it'll cap you at 10. Um, but there's so many different types of annuities. Uh, you just have to ask, you know, what are the main points with the annuity that you're uh, being sold? Uh, what will work best for you, basically? So with those annuities, when you were mentioning that, is... Are you, can you lose the money that you put into an annuity or do you get guaranteed at least the amount that you put in? Depends on the annuity. <laughs> uh, it could be either or. But the point of the annuity is to have income for life. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're 99 and still kicking it, <laughs> you have that income coming in. So uh, that's for, I would say mainly for those people that know like, in their family, people just live very long lives, and you always need some type of income coming in outside of Social Security. Okay. So we talked about annuities. We talked about individual retirement accounts. We talked about the Roth IRAs. We spoke about brokerage accounts. Are there any other general type of investment vehicles that you see people or advise people to look into when it comes to helping for investment purposes? Um, life insurance is one. Um, I wouldn't suggest life insurance at a really young age. Um, having term life insurance is good just so you can have a cheap opportunity for you. Uh, usually with your job, it could be like $5 uh, that you pay into it and 
um, look into the policy, see how long it lasts for. But a general sense of that is term insurance, let's say it's a five-year term life insurance and something happens to you within that five years, then there is a payout of however much was covered. So let's say it's 50,000 gets paid out to your beneficiary. However, if the five years lapses and nothing happens, then your money is just gone. Um, if you want something longer than that, you can, you know, push up the amount of years, but it gets more expensive. And then you can have whole life where you're covered for your entire life, but that is the most expensive option. And if you do divide that into monthly payments, it does become more expensive. It's just thinking about it as like a credit card. Um, and then outside of that, so we did talk about managed programs. Um, really, managed programs can uh, have different varieties where um, you pay a fee, let's say quarterly, based off the amount of money that you already have in the, in the account at that time. And you can do as many trades as you want without having to pay the trading fees. But because you paid the quarterly fee, that's why you could get to do that. Um, and that could be, the investments could be based off of what a third party does. Or it could be managed accounts where you, as uh, the client, are picking what those products or those funds are. Or uh, the advisor, there's different types of different managed funds or accounts that you can have based off of what you want and how involved you want to be. Wow, we went through a lot of information. So Jasmine, I wanted to, right before we finish off, I wanted to ask you one last question. And I guess that question for me to you would be, what advice would you give to the individual who is fearful for investing, but wants to get in? What piece of advice would you give to those individuals? Uh, Honestly, I wouldn't um, put any pressure on yourself. If you know that you can't handle it, then don't do it. Uh, People get into situations where I've been on the phone with clients freaking out about the market and they see on the news, the Dow went down 300 points. And I say, well, what did that mean to you? Well, I'm looking at your account and that was 1%, but they're still freaking out. Well, Honestly, if this is the way that you're going to react every time you see something like that on the news, then maybe investing isn't the the place for you. Maybe it is a bank product like a CD, something that's guaranteed so you don't have to worry about it. Your financial health also correlates to your mental health. And if you're constantly going to be stressing about something that you can't really control, then it might not be for you. There are different avenues to make money. Investing is not the only way. And then I did tell you it was just going to be one, but I'm going to throw another one. So what would you tell the individual who is excited about investing, who knows that he or she needs to invest for the future and wants to know where to start? Um, for that individual, um, just always uh, try to find someone that you're comfortable with. Um, Looking uh, on Google to see who is in your neighborhood, find out maybe you know someone and look them up on brokercheck.com. See how long they've been in business. See if there's any uh, bad things on their uh, account 
with them. Uh, disclosures are put on there. So they filed for bankruptcy, something like that. Maybe that worries you. Uh, you can look that on there. Um, do your research on the company and their philosophy, what they can offer you, what are their fees, their rates, everything like that. Um, it is a, it's kind of like a job. <laughs> you have to do something. You can't be so completely hands off that you don't know what's going on. So whenever time, every time that I speak with a client, my goal is that they learn something before they get off the phone with me. If you didn't learn anything, well, now I'm afraid for you because you have to know what is going on with your money. Even if you can't get the whole thing, have to know something. Well, Jasmine, again, thank you so much. You know, I know Marvin and Christopher, when they listen to this, they're going to definitely appreciate the knowledge that you're able to lay down on us. And I know that the rest of the MVP crew, those viewers out there are going to appreciate you. So I want to say thank you for being the first individual who we interviewed outside of ourselves so <laughs> you will always have that on your resume and depending on where things go i have a feeling that we'll probably ask you on in the future for future episodes so please don't block my call when i ask <laughs> you to come back again all right no i won't all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you were able to enjoy this episode of the MVP podcast. We again spoke about finances. Looking forward to your feedback. Again, please make sure that you subscribe to the MVP podcast. Please make sure you leave a review, preferably a five-star review. Please make sure that you give Jasmine lots of love. She did awesome. And until next time, MVP crew, this is Harry signing out. Talk to you later, guys. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.